The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 20th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. To watch my arm movements here, it's tight. tight. Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's not fair. It's not fair. Have you heard that before? Uh, If you ever had kids cared for kids, knew a kid, if you ever were a kid yourself, you know that phrase is a common refrain of childhood. It comes up all the time. It's not fair. It's funny how we seem to be hardwired for fairness. There is this innate sense in us from a very young age about what is fair. And in fact, studies show that our sense of fairness is formed very early on, often by the time we are around 12 months old. And when you're dealing with kids, fairness is important. But I can tell you, when you have twins, (laughs) fairness is mission critical. (laughs) Our twins have a a birthday coming up just next month. And as we plan, we are making sure, as we do each year, that they get an equal number of presents that they get an equal number of friends to invite to their party and so on. One year, uh, the twins wanted different themes for their birthday party. So that year, we had a birthday cake made for them that was split in half right down the middle with the Avengers on one side and My Little Pony on the other. (laughs) It was the best cake ever. Now, this righteous sense of fairness... Uh, while it can be tedious with kids complaining that it's just not fair, is a good thing most of the time. That fairness carries into how they treat not just their siblings, 
but also their friends and eventually their classmates. And yet, and yet, there can be an underside to our sense of fairness. What, have I've, what I've observed in kids and adults and even in myself is that we often fall into the trap of associating fairness with love. Associating fairness with love. So let me see if I can explain. As a parent, I sort of get the feeling that if I'm fair to all my kids, if they receive equally, they get their equal share of time and attention and experiences and stuff, they associate that fairness with how much I love them. Or that they know that they are loved just as much as the other kids because they receive the same thing. Or if each of them gets what they feel they deserve, they get what's fair, then they feel loved. And it's not just about how I love them individually, it's how they are loved in comparison and in relationship to one another. And I certainly feel that in my adult relationships too. You know, if everybody feels like they're treated equally in relationship to others, it becomes a measure of how much I love them or care for them. Fairness has this way of becoming associated, maybe even synonymous, with love. And I say there's an underside to it because that's not really how love works. At least, that's what we hear in our readings for today. In our gospel, Jesus tells another parable about the kingdom of God, which is what life would be like if we all follow Jesus' teachings. He says that the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who needed some work done in his vineyard, and he went out and hired some laborers to work the land. He hired some at 6 a.m., then 9 a.m., then noon, then 3 p.m., and then 5 p.m. And when the day was done and the evening had come, he gathered all the laborers together and started paying them, beginning with those that started at 5 p.m. And they received a full day's wage for just one hour's work. Now, everybody else is starting to think, oh man, I worked a lot harder than those guys. I'm bound to get more money than that. Fairness, getting what we think we deserve in relation to others. But then he paid those that arrived at three the same day's wage, as well as those that started at noon and nine o'clock and at 6 a.m. He paid them all the same amount. And now everybody is upset. The guys that started work at 3 p.m. and got a full day's wage are not happy because they received a full day's wage for just working three hours. No, now they are mad because the guys that came after them and only worked one hour got the same amount. The guys that were hired at 6 a.m. are especially miffed, even though they received exactly what they agreed to and what was fair. They say to the landowner, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Just imagine for a moment how you would feel in that situation. I bet you'd say the same thing. You'd say, it's not fair. And you'd be absolutely right. It wouldn't be. The vineyard owner responds, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? And then comes that dagger of a question, which is the key that unlocks our readings for today. Are you envious because I am generous? Are you envious? Because I am generous? Ouch. Hold on to that question. Our first reading for today comes from the book of Jonah. Now, what is Jonah known for? The whale, right? 
So he gets swallowed by the whale, spit up three days later. But that, that's only a small part of the Jonah story. And if you want to know the whole story, I recommend there's a great VeggieTales video that tells you the whole story of Jonah. It's very good, lots of music. But basically, the story of Jonah goes something like this. God tells Jonah to go and prophesy to the people of Nineveh, the Ninevites, to tell them to repent, stop sinning, change their ways, make amends, and turn to God. And Jonah says to God, uh, no thanks. And Jonah gets into a boat and sails to the ends of the earth, to Tarshish, the furthest place he can imagine going away. And so while he's in the boat, God sends a storm, and the sailors on the boat realize that it's Jonah's fault. So they kick him off the boat into the water. He's swallowed by the whale. The whale spits him up three days later. And on the beach, uh, Jonah looks up to God and says, okay, God, I guess I'll go to Nineveh. (laughs) Uh, And he went, but he wasn't happy. In fact, it's safe to say that Jonah was pretty much a whiner. And he whines all the way through the book named after him. So Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he tells the people to repent. And guess what? They do. They seriously repent sackcloth and ashes and everything, the whole nine yards. And God graciously forgives them because they did what he asked. But Jonah is mad yet again. He says to God, see, I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were just a big softy and you were going to forgive them anyway. That's why I didn't want to come out here in the first place. What a waste of time. It's not fair. And so... Instead of being glad that the people of Nineveh had repented and changed their ways and were saved and were not destroyed by God in a ball of fire, Jonah is bitter that God forgives them. Jonah goes outside of the city to pout and still hoping that God might judge the city, rain down fire and brimstone, and that the Ninevites would get what Jonah thought they deserved. And as he sulks outside of the city walls, God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry that I forgave the Ninevites? Or to put it another way, are you envious because I am generous? The answer quite resoundingly from Jonah and the laborers in the vineyard is, frankly, God, yes, we are. Now, one of the reasons that Jonah is so annoyed by this whole thing is not just the long trip and the anticlimactic repentance and forgiveness of the Ninevites. It's because these Ninevites, they weren't even Hebrews. They weren't even Jews. They weren't God's chosen people. The city of Nineveh was in Assyria, modern-day Iraq. They were a neighboring empire, an enemy people that didn't believe in the same God as the Hebrew people. And Jonah was tasked with going to people that were different from him, calling them to repent or to be destroyed And to Jonah, destruction is exactly what they deserved, not only for their sin, but for who they were and what they represented. He thought they were enemies not only of Israel, but of God himself. And yet, God chooses to extend God's full measure of grace and mercy and forgiveness even to those Ninevites. And just so, Jesus' parable is a metaphor for God's relationship to the Hebrew people at the time. God is the landowner, and the Hebrews are the people that came to work in the vineyard at 6 a.m. They had been with God the entire time. God established them, blessed them, and saved them. They have received the full measure of God's devotion. But what Jesus is indicating in this parable here, as he does throughout his life and teaching, 
is that God's love is not limited to one people or one place. God's mercy is not confined by border or ethnic identities or even religious practices. While God's chosen people, the early morning laborers, may have had full, God's full measure of devotion, Jesus said, so do the Assyrians and Samaritans, the Syrophoenicians, the Gentiles, everybody. And if you've been with God, not just all day in the vineyard, but for centuries, and now you hear that everyone else is just as entitled to God's gifts as you are, you might find that as Jonah did, it would be pretty annoying, pretty unfair, and maybe some other words that aren't appropriate to use in church. It's the kind of thing that incites such offense and such anger in people that it got Jesus killed. But these are not just stories about Jonah and the Ninevites or the landowner and the laborers. Like all stories in the Bible, these stories are about us. They are about our human condition. God's grace and mercy which falls on everyone, the just and the unjust alike, offends our sense of fairness. Our sense of fairness, which oftentimes is a cover for our own self-righteousness. It offends us despite the fact that we too are the undeserving recipients of God's grace. These stories get at the deep, dark places in our hearts, where we calculate how we measure up to others, what we have done and what we deserve, and what we are worth compared to other people. We do it all the time. We are constantly keeping score in our hearts and in our heads, figuring out who's in and who's out, and whether that's us, who's deserving and worthy, who's been working all day and who just showed up. When Jesus asks, are you envious because I am generous? I think if we are honest, the answer is yes. And it reveals something about ourselves that we must come to terms with, not just individually and not just as a faith community, but as a nation. For I have wondered this week whether part of the root of the problems we're experiencing now with so much hate and violence and anger and backlash against communities of color and people of other faiths and the LGBTQ community and those that would stand with them is the way that we judge some people worthy and other people not. For these are communities that seem to many to only have arrived late in the day in the vineyard, and yet they too receive the full day's wage, the full measure of God's devotion, the full measure of God's grace. We make a terrible mistake when we take what our society says is normative, white and Christian, and mistake that for divine chosenness, which is, in fact, what white supremacists do to the extreme. And the rhetoric that is flying around, the blame that's being bandied about, oh, it touches something deep in us, something that is almost irresistible to us. And we, like Jonah, are so susceptible to it. And it should cause us to pause and look deeply inwardly and examine the ways in which we justify ourselves in the name of fairness. The way we harbor grievances to those who are different from us. Who it seems have just shown up to the scene, though they have been with us the whole time. 
and who have the audacity to desire the same rights and privileges that we enjoy. What we forget is that in the kingdom of God, which is our true allegiance, that in God's economy and in God's grace, there is more than enough grace and mercy and forgiveness to go around, both for those who come early and those who come late, both for Jews as well as Gentiles, for those we imagine to be our enemies, and especially those, as Jesus showed us throughout his life and ministry, that are different and outcast and shamed and weird and forgotten. And maybe that's the part that kids and we don't get about fairness. We think love is a limited resource, and so it's got to be meted out sparingly and equally. But love is not limited. Love is a renewable resource, and it's always self-regenerating, like the the ever-expanding universe. There is more than enough of God's love to go around. And love begets more love, begets more love, begets more love, begets more love. And if we ourselves are so deeply and passionately loved by God, we have to ask ourselves today and tomorrow and this week and months to come, why are we envious? Because God is generous. Amen.